I am lucky enough to have what I think is the best job in the world. Um, and if you want to get your research and views into Parliament, there's nothing better than being a House of Commons clerk and working for a select committee. Um, unfortunately, not everybody can do that. Um, so I'm going to talk to you today, um, really give you some top tips and practical advice about how you might expose your work to Parliament. I think the first thing to say is that Parliament is constantly hungry for information. Um, we are always looking for more advice, more skills, a different perspective. And there is an overriding reason for doing this, and that's because we want to improve the quality of the decision-making that happens, even if that decision is to do nothing, which it quite, quite often is. Um, select committees are an obvious avenue where you want to feed into a policy debate or, or have information in or even possibly help set the agenda, help set, determine what committees uh, are going to look at. Um, but I do want to flag one issue. It is absolutely not the only route um, into Parliament. There are lots of them. And towards the end of my comments, I'm going to throw up a slide that just shows the... Um, what I think of the nine different routes into Parliament for, for academic expertise. But I thought it might be helpful just to start off by outlining the typical scenario for a select committee inquiry, what we do, where we look for information, how you can feed in. I'd love to tell you that the choice for a select committee and how it determines its agenda and what it's going to inquire into is uh, a strategic planned process uh, and, and all the options very, very carefully weighed with the help of a lot of informed opinion. It sometimes is, and, and we hope it is. We really hope it works that way most of the time, particularly at the beginning of a parliament when committees are first set up and they're looking at their long-term agenda and what they want to um, achieve over a course of five years. But it isn't always like that, and an awful lot of select committees' inquiries come about as a result of... Um, topicality, things that, are going, things that are going on, things that are happening, responsive perhaps to the media agenda, uh, possibly responsive to the individual interests of members of the committee, and the membership of the committee can change over the course of a parliament, so that balance may change as well. Um, but to some degree, select committees will know what they are going to be looking at in a year's time might not always pan out that way, so it's always worth watching what their forward agenda is. But we say we get to the situation where we have an inquiry, we're about to start thinking about it, the committee will probably have agreed that they want to look at cancer research. Let's just take that as an example. What do we do? Where do we start asking questions? The first thing to realise is that probably nobody on that committee is an expert in cancer research at all. Um, our members are usually quite well informed. They've been serving on the select committee for quite a while. Perhaps they'll have a general, uh, a general knowledge. The staff will have some heads up, but it's quite possible that nobody has ever actually considered cancer research as a specific area before. So we're coming to it not entirely cold. It's not disinterested, but we are coming to it with a fresh plate. So what do I do? My committee's decided that it's going to do an inquiry into cancer research at its meeting one week. The odds are I'm probably going to have to go back to the committee with draft terms of reference for that inquiry a week later. Um, 
and that the terms of reference will spell out the particular areas they want to look at, some detailed questions. I've got to send that back a week later. I mean, very practical issue. The papers go to the committee three or four days before the committee meets so that they can consider them. So the likelihood is I've got 48 hours to put something sensible together. And that's where you guys come in, because I really, really need some help to do that. The first thing I'm going to do is... Yeah, I'm going to be really honest about this. The first thing I'm going to do is Google. Um, what's going on out there? What are people saying? What are people saying on Twitter? Are there some good policy documents out there I can get my head around that are just there? The second thing I'm going to do is review what work the committee has done in the past um, in that area. If they've reported before or another committee has, or maybe there's an APPG report um, that I can look at. This is really important because one of the things I'll be taking note of is who gave evidence and who supported that inquiry in the past. Um, we do try very hard not to always consult with the usual suspects, the people who are around, the people who are networked, but the fact is that once you've got your name known within parliamentary circles and we understand who you are, we're much more likely to pick up the phone and ask you questions. Because remember, I've got 48 hours to put this document together. When I pick up the phone, I want to know that the person at the other end actually knows what they're talking about, that I've got the right person first time, that I'm not wasting their time and they're not wasting mine. So if it's somebody who comes to us with some background, who knows what a select committee is, that's really helpful. Uh, the third thing I'm going to go and do is talk to one of my colleagues in the House of Commons Library. Um, and by the way, I'm talking very much in House of Commons terms. I work for the House of Commons, but pretty much the same is true for commit the committee system in the House of Lords. The House of Commons Library has a series of policy specialists covering various different fields, and there will always be one who's covering the field that you want to look into. So I will go and talk to them. They will go and give me a heads up on what's going on in the policy area. They may have written some research briefings. Critically, they will have contacts that I can piggyback on. Contacts in the academic world, contacts with people who are actually operative in doing this. Um, so that's number three. Number four, if I've got time, I might do a slightly more serious literature research, you know, get onto something like Just Or, see who's publishing, um, who's said what. Am I going to read all those articles in great detail? Absolutely not. What am I looking for? I'm looking for names. I'm looking to understand who works in that area. Um, I might look at what conferences and events are going on. Is there something I can go to? I can hear the experts. Uh, if they're in London, I'm a lot more likely to go. Uh, and that's just a sad fact of life. It, that's the way it works. Um, can I get an introduction to somebody? Um, and I think the message that I'd like you to take away from sort of understanding how I'm looking to prepare the committee is that if you don't put your research out there, if I can't find you on Google, I can't find you on Twitter, you're not in contact with my colleagues in Parliament, you're not attending conferences and networking events, you're not publishing articles, I can't find you. Um, and I think the same goes for us. If we're not out there and talking to people, if we're not publishing the right things on our website, if we're not um, actively promoting the committee's work and what their forward agenda is, you can't know us. Um, so there's absolutely a dialogue there that has, to be, that has to happen way before you might get invited to give evidence to a committee. And I'm going to come on and say a little bit about what evidence is and build on what Andrew is saying. Um, 
So get out there, talk about your work, think about it. But how can you target that to Parliament? Well, keep an eye on what the relevant select committee is doing. There is a little gem on the parliamentary website, um, and not very well, not very well visited page, but it's public, that lists all the select committees' current inquiries. Sorry, I said select committees, all committees. So House of Commons, House of Lords, joint committees, committees looking at policy inquiries, and importantly also committees that might be taking evidence on bills, so legislative committees, public bill committees. Tells you what they all are, tells you what the deadlines are, tells you what the terms of reference are, how you can get in contact, whether you need to. It's a really good page to start watching, and it's one page. You can go on, log on, set yourself up, you'll get an email alert when something relevant comes up. So quite easy, but I would accept that our website's not the easiest to navigate. So if anyone's interested, give me a card afterwards, give me your email address, and I can send round, I can send round a link. Um, but say you get to the stage where you are invited to give formal evidence to a select committee, and that's quite the most, probably the most powerful way of having impact on a select committee. Um, formal evidence constitutes two things, by the way. We consider written evidence to be, have equal value to oral evidence that is presented. You'll have seen those sessions on TV, you know, when the members are asking questions of witnesses. That's oral evidence. Written evidence carries exactly the same weight, formally. Um, of course, the oral interchange, the ability to ask questions and come back, you tend to have more impact at an oral evidence session. Say you're invited to give evidence. You will be asked to give written evidence in the first instance, even if that's going to be followed up with an oral evidence session. What do you do? The three golden rules, for, I think, for having some real impact. If you send your written evidence to a select committee and it has no impact on that committee, you might as well have not sent it. And lots and lots of evidence goes into that bucket. I'm not saying it's not read, it's all read. But there are lots of things that might make it go in the bucket of us putting it at the bottom of the pile for members to read. Get three things right. It has to be relevant. It has to be relevant to what the committee is looking into. So if the committee is doing an inquiry into cancer research, do not send us evidence about diabetes research and say, draw some lessons. It, it doesn't work. We haven't got time, we haven't got skills, we haven't got the anal analytical tools to do that. Um, make sure it's relevant. Don't be afraid about drawing lessons from your work. Actually, quite often, what is more valuable to us is not the outcomes of any research you're doing, but your opinions, the views you've formed, the conclusions you've come to on the basis of your, your career. Actually try and help us draw those lessons, and if it can be tied in and made relevant to the committee's inquiry, even, even better. Second one, timeliness. The best time to send us evidence, of course, is before. Hmm. I think that's a, that's a bit of an impossible task. Um, heed the deadlines. Any call for evidence will come with a deadline. If it's not clear, you can't make it, pick up the phone, talk to the clerk. They will be able to advise. We can always come to accommodation. But do not try and send us evidence after the deadline. Um, you know, there are good, lines why they, good reasons why those deadlines are set, often operational to do with the committee. You might not consider them very important, but the fact is, if the committee isn't meeting after a certain date, there's no point in sending us the evidence um, because there's no time to consider it. And the third one I think I'd like to add to that is the format it comes in. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail in this. You can, you can look on the website. There are guidelines of how to do it. Um, but a couple, of, a couple of things to draw to attention. Um, 
select committee work may feel very long and tedious sometimes, and those long reports that come out may feel like they're the fruits of work, but actually it's quite a fast-paced environment. Um, and time to sit down and read is not always um, available, so keep it short and adhere to the format guidelines that the committee has set. There will, again, there will be reasons for that about how easily we can circulate it, how easily we can um, get it around the members and how we can digest it. Each committee, unfortunately, has slightly different rules of how, how to do that. So, but take note, go and have a look on the website. So three things, make it relevant, make it timely, um, and get it in the right format. Um, and incidentally, if you don't get it in the right format, all, all written evidence these days is uploaded via a web portal, if you'll just reject it anyway. Um, and, and we've all wasted our time. So let's say a little bit about what we think about as evidence. And as, when I was head of the scrutiny unit, we ran a, a series of workshops all around the, universities all around the country, trying to talk to um, some of your colleagues, academics in the field, some policy experts. We work with the What Works Network that comes from the Cabinet Office in, in government. Um, trying to understand what we really mean by the word evidence, because one of the uh, initial findings of a study we've done was that Parliament tends to mean a very different thing by evidence than you guys do. For us, evidence is a really formal thing. We, when you send a paper to a select committee, the committee decides whether it's going to accept it as evidence or not. That's not a judgment on the quality or the worth of, uh, of the paper that's come in. Um, it's more to do with whether we can do so legally um, or within the rules of procedure. The big thing to know about having a, a paper accepted as evidence by a parliamentary committee is that we then take copyright. And that's a big deal if you want to go and publish something or, or, uh, later on. There are good reasons for doing this. The whole thing about us accepting evidence and extending what's called parliamentary privilege to it is to create a safe space for people who may feel vulnerable about talking to select committees or putting their words on the record, whistleblowers, people who want to um, tell personal stories or sensitive stories or we're dealing with vulnerable adults. <coughs> That doesn't mean you can't send us your latest research paper that's going to be published in a peer-reviewed journal. What it does mean is that we don't want to accept it as evidence because that's going to complicate your life. And frankly, if you're prepared to publish it in a peer-reviewed journal, you don't need us to publish it for you or that sort of um, personal protection around what it says. So send it as a paper for information, but don't try and submit it as evidence. And I think that's the key thing to learn. Just because we don't apply the word evidence to it doesn't mean it won't be taken on board, taken into account. It will. Um, I just want to very quickly give you some other examples, other than formal evidence, around how information might get into a select committee uh, from academic colleagues. Committee office is actually about to start a new program of having embedded academics on a rolling basis. Seven or eight places, idea is that they'll be there for a term-ish, 10, 12 weeks. Um, that's something that's come out of a, a program over the last three years that we've been running to try and break down the barriers, have more academic engagement into the select committee world. So we have had one or two embedded academics in parliament in the past. Sarah Childs from Bristol, Professor Sarah Childs, has been working with us on gender-sensitive parliaments. 
Uh, Emma Crewe came in under the, under the auspices of the Speaker. You may have seen her recent book on um, ethnography of the House of Lords. That's um, um, something. There have been much lower level um, placements. There is a program of fellowships within the Parliamentary Office of Science and Technology, which uh, where usually actually PhD students at that level come in and will do a particular piece of work for us, but again, are very, very engaged. Committee office takes in a lot of um, interns and work placements, again, usually at PhD level. Um, that can be extremely valuable. Not only do we get really, really bright people working for us, which is cool, um, it extends our own networks and our contacts. They come to us with a whole range of um, links and knowledge that we wouldn't have. And it's 20 years since I was at university, slightly more, 20 years since I was at university. So it's a way of refreshing our, our, our networks. Um, always look out for those sort of opportunities. But alongside that, there will also be, at any one time, a series of different projects going on sort of behind the scenes. So Andrew is doing some work for us at the moment around disruptive technologies. Um, and the whole point of that uh, is um, going back to look at how some disruptive communications technologies have influenced the work of Parliament. So looking at how the printing press did it, or broadcasting, the introduction of television into the chamber. We're doing this work to help us understand how we might adjust uh, usefully to digital technologies and, and use them. So going by going back and looking um, at some of the options that were out there in the past, or possibly some of the lessons we can learn from the past, we hope that we're going to be able to drive our own strategy for digital engagement in a much more informed and practical and useful way. I think I'm going to stop there. Um, Billy, can we get that slide up just quickly? Uh, it'll probably be the only... Let me, let me... That would have been really helpful if I told you that, wouldn't it? So, until about two months ago, we used to have this sort of saying in Parliament that there were eight ways research gets into Parliament. Um, and then one of our post fellows very cleverly pointed out to us that there was actually a ninth, and it was really important. So um, I present to you now a very, very new slide and recently updated. And there is a fantastic blog post that goes around to explaining this on a blog called New Brogues, um, which you can see it, but I'm happy to send it to anybody. The reason I put this up is I just want to remind you, select committees are not the only way that Parliament engages, and it's not the only way that we want to encourage you to come and help us. And they are all outlined there. And very quickly running through them. Parliamentary Office of Science and Technology, I've spoken to you about that um, before. Um, Post is quite an old institution now, came about for very political reasons in the early 90s. Don't be misled by its title, Parliamentary Office of Science and Technology. It now has a social science section, um, which is very active, so it's covering the whole, whole broad. Um, Commons and Lords Select Committee inquiries, we've talked about all party parliamentary groups. As a clerk, I can tell you nothing about this because they're not formally part of Parliament, um, but uh, I think somebody else might tell you just how important they are in, in informing members. 
Um, through the political researchers that are employed by members and employed, employed by the House of Staff, very, very key access. Most of the time you can contact them through the members' offices. Um, direct correspondence with members, yes. Never, ever be afraid to pick up the phone. But never be afraid to pick up the phone to the clerk either. It's by far the most effective way. If you don't know what something means that you say on the website or when the deadline for evidence is or you want to float an idea, pick up the phone. Um, all telephone numbers published on the parliamentary website, by the way. Um, debate packs and briefing packs, these are the research papers that are produced by House of Commons Library um, to support debates in the chamber. Every single debate that happens in the chamber will have some sort of research paper, briefing pack, um, second reading pack produced by the House of Commons Library to inform those who want to take part in the debate. Um, they're prepared by the library specialists. If you think your work is relevant, would be useful, or you just want to see if it would be, pick up the phone, talk to them, and have a look at Parliament's forward agenda to see what debates are coming up. Um, same goes for the House of Lords Library. It uh, works in the, in the same way. Um, and Commons Research Briefings. These are not briefings that are... Uh, designed to support particular debates, but they are around particular policy issues that are interesting at the time. So they're, they're more substantial, they're longer term, um, but again, prepared by my colleagues in the library. So the same route in, email them, have a look what they're doing on the website, and if that doesn't work, pick up the phone and talk to them. Um, and I really will leave it there. Okay. Thank you.